welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Myself, Stuart Cork, is, as ever, here, joined by some of what we agreed on. Mr. Adam Nathan, how are we, sir? I'm good. I feel like uh, I should be at Portobello Flower Market today because I need to throw flowers at you for getting a shout-out on KJR about your article that you wrote this week. I've got a whole heap of flowers for our guest to fling at him when we introduce him in a couple of minutes for what he's been doing the last couple of weeks, months, years. So... No, I'm good. I'm feeling good. I mean, it's Mr. 2021, I think is what we dubbed him earlier in the season. Uh, joining us once again is our pal, um, the man who earlier this week had an intellectual discussion with our friend Jackson Bevins, who's now summoning it to end his week with us too. Michael Sean Dugar, how are we, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, doing with some breaking news. But I'm doing, <laughs> I told you guys, I'm always at what I tell you, Stu. Always available. <laughs> I'm, never, I'm never not going to be, man. If I got the time, I'll make it work. Yeah, we appreciate I mean, it. I mean, Mike, obviously your career is going from strength to strength to strength, and it's cigar <laughs> thoughts, and it's your own podcast. But do you ever think about, you know, the slide indoors moment of the DM that I sent you about four years ago? And if you didn't come on our podcast, how everything could be completely different. Like, it feels like a seminal moment in your career, surely. Yeah, it's like the butterfly effect. Yeah, if you don't send that message, where do I end up in? Yeah, four, in four years. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe focusing on like you dub basketball or something. Like it could, it could be a that completely is like different the world for last you. thing I would ever want to focus on is Husky basketball. That is <laughs> the, the, on the same day we dropped 109 points on Idaho, which is you know, Idaho sucks, but you dub couldn't even beat Wyoming at home. Like that just talk about they, contrast between two programs. They lost again. Yeah, they lost to Wyoming. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, they're, 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 they're a bad team. Cool. Uh, yeah, so about an hour or so before we um, start recording, the news broke before we get into everything else that uh, Seahawks running back Chris Carson is going to have season, season-ending neck surgery. Um, like It sucks for the Seahawks, but it sucks for a man who the season off-season got paid and now his NFL career and his comfort of living, I guess, is... Uh, at risk is that the right phrase mike um yeah i'm not sure they've been really ominous with the updates pete's like the last person you want to rely on for injury updates honestly he doesn't know how to describe anything (laughs) um he doesn't know what anything's called no bones no muscles really like he's just not he's just not a that's just not his thing uh but he did say the surgery is with the idea that chris can just play next year and bounce back and be okay it's still unclear on the cause of it. You know, it's it's so weird. I feel bad for Chris. And this is why running backs want to get paid. And this is like, on a macro level, an example of why running backs should probably just have their own pay scale. Like, I think that it's not far-fetched. As complicated as the CBA is, the collective bargaining agreement, like, I don't think it will be that hard to, like, understand positional value and say, hey, let's create – a separate salary cap for the quarterback position. And then let's and when when draft when when draft time comes around, okay, we understand we got the rookie wage scale. Why don't we amend that for running backs? You know, let's let's let them be able to negotiate a new deal and you can dedicate like a pool of money to that particular position so you don't like get like a running back make a hundred million right out of school or something like that. 
Um, like each team can dedicate so many dollars per rookie on that particular position. So they're not stuck in these, these minimum wage deals while they're making all pro teams. And then as soon as it's time to get paid, they're just like thrown to the wayside. So on a macro level, Chris's case is another one of those that just strengthens the argument that running backs need their own union and they need their own amendment to the CBA because when they are the only position, I would argue, that the minute their name is called on draft day, they're in their prime. Everyone else, like, there's reason to believe they will get better and their athleticism may actually improve over time, such and such. As soon as you hear your name called on draft day as a running back, you are in your prime right there. Uh, and you need to be – you need to have the freedom to be compensated accordingly. So I think that's – yeah, anyway. Sucks yeah. for Chris, but, yeah, on a macro level, this is like, maybe I should write something about running backs because that should be a thing. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is kind of, isn't it, with, like, the tag the franchise tag system where it works out the average per position. That was Jimmy Graham's whole dispute in New Orleans to a certain extent, wasn't it? That he, he wanted to be paid one way, but he was going to be paid on the tag another. Well, yeah, his argument was different, though, because he just wanted to be identified at a different position. He was like, I line up as a receiver X amount of time. So you should pay me like a receiver. Cause that's how you use me and yada, 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 which he had a fair argument there. The thing with running backs is like, it really, it's a matter of when you are in your prime relative to the rookie pace scale. Mm. Like when you're a quarterback, you're going to be good for a while. When you're offensive lineman, you are going to be good for a while. And the influx of talent, that's the other thing, the influx of talent, those positions who's ready to come in and play right away is different than other positions. I don't think there's any position more equipped to just come in from college and dominate, not just be okay, like dominate like a running back for the yeah. most part. Like the the learning curve seems to be the smallest for those guys. Like they just come in and they just tear shit up like right away. Like it's, you could probably look, this would be an interesting exercise. How many rookies per posi- at each position make Pro Bowl and all pro teams in the last 10 years since the new CBA? You would probably, I bet, I would guess that running backs are probably pretty high. They come in, you can get an undrafted running back, make a Pro Bowl, and it's not even that weird. I think Philip Lindsay just did it. Um, I don't know if James Robinson did, but you can you can see it. And and then let's let's uh, we can divvy that up. Let's look at it by draft day. Let's look at how many people at each position make Pro Bowls and All Pros as rookies, and then separate it by when you were drafted. And I would almost guarantee that running backs on day three probably would be the highest or the, the on day three, the highest position would be running backs. There's no other position where you'd get multiple guys making pro bowl teams or all pro teams and day three, like you're not even receivers where we're seeing those be like a diamond dozen. It's a very interesting discussion. It's one of my favorites, as you can tell, but that Chris is just a really good window uh, into that. So is Le'Veon Bell for different reasons, but yeah, him, Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry, for different reasons, they all are good windows into a discussion, a larger discussion about running back value, CBA, uh, and all this other stuff. And then you got 27-year-old Todd Gurley sitting on his couch as well every Sunday when he was probably one of the best defensive players in the league two years ago, three years ago. Uh, yeah, I think he's like three seasons removed from being Offensive Player of the Year, I think, yeah. three or four seasons, and now he's just out of the league. Yeah. I meant to say this after the after the game against Pittsburgh, but outside of Matt Jones, I can't think there's a rookie in the league that's being lent on as much as Najee Harris. Yeah. He's doing like an unbelievable job. I mean, he is carrying the rock so many times. He doesn't look like a fumble threat at all. And is like 
they're five and three. And I think probably you can attribute three or four of those wins just to him alone. He's been unbelievable. Mm. And in three years time, he's going to have fuck all to show for it. Yeah. That's the other thing. There's just, you have all this incentive to just run them into the ground and then just not pay them. <laughs> you know, that's like, it's very, it's very, yeah, they're in a, such a tough spot. And I think, I mean, kind of wrote something about this a few years ago, I think through the lens of, I think Leonard Fournette, um, so it's not like I have some novel idea there, but I think we should, the next step of the conversation is, all right, we identified the problem. They're in their prime the moment they get drafted and literally no other position <clears throat> that way, except maybe a kicker. So what are we going to do about it? Well, let's create a new mechanism so that they're not getting screwed. And then we should also create a different pool of money for quarterbacks because they just, they represent a disproportionate amount of the salary cap relative to their peers. So we should just treat them differently. I think they tried something like that in the nineties. Um, and didn't, I don't know how it went. I'd have to look it up, but yeah, that's, that's my, like Mike's hot take thing about the CBA. So that's different pool for quarterbacks, everyone else and running backs. They should be treated differently. Yeah. Um, Adam, Chris Carson. Yeah. I'm pleased for him that he managed to get his in inverted commas, you know, not relative to his importance, but he managed to get probably more money than, most people thought he was going to get in the off season. I, I can't remember what the narrative was, but I kind of feel like most people were surprised that he re-signed in Seattle. Like when the, when the year ended, Mike, you'll probably remember better than me, but from my, from memory, I was thinking, okay, that Rams game is the last we're going to see of KJ, Shaq Griffin and Chris Carson. And I think it was a almost a bit of a shock when he came back. Uh, I think, so to like publicly, yeah, probably. Yeah, sure. My understanding was that if they had to, you know, Pete never says how much of a priority is player X or player Y. But my understanding was if there was a list, like a, a whiteboard or Excel spreadsheet, like, hey, who do we need to sign the most resign? Um, it was Chris was probably at the top in terms of the unrestricted free agents above KJ, above Shaquille. Not to say those guys weren't on the list. Of course they were. But you guys gave a point. Like Chris, Chris, Pete believed fundamentally that Chris was essential to everything the offense should be. Like in that, in a like a, almost in a fundamental and like a philosophical way. Like let's embody this particular style of play that Chris brings. Like we have to re-sign Chris for reasons that like are from my soul almost. <laughs> like that's how Pete. That really is kind of what it sounded like Pete felt. And even today, he just admitted he was like, yeah. Chris has always been one of my favorite guys since we drafted him. You know? I mean, that's always been clear. You go listen to his draft day press conference. It's like, you guys are going to love Chris. I'm really excited about this Chris Carson guy. And it was weird. It was like seventh round pick. Even when Chris missed time with a hamstring injury his rookie year, uh, rookie camp, as I was, I was like, nah, 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 trust me. This Chris Carson guy, you guys are going to like this guy. It was right. Uh, but now who knows how that looks for next season when his cap hit, I think, goes up to like six mil or something like that. He'll be pretty expensive. Uh, and relatively injury prone compared to where you can just draft a kid in the fifth round and he'll probably be fine. Yeah. I mean, that's a somewhat of a thread from your chat with Jackson earlier the week that, again, Pete has a point, doesn't he, to a certain extent, because this offense without him, obviously it's been without Russell Wilson, but without him, especially on Sunday, Adam, um, was, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really want to jump on what Mike said there because I think we texted about this in the week, Mike, that the Seahawks, and maybe it's because we watch more of them than anyone else, and maybe it's the same for every team that isn't quite performing to the level, but every time you think about the Seahawks offense, which is obviously the buzz at the moment, 
it seems so focused on what every individual brings to the party. And if that individual isn't there, the whole thing just falls apart. And I wonder if, you know, as we're talking about the offense going forward, this over-reliance on individuals seems to go against the idea like you have an offensive scheme and if someone gets injured, you plug someone else into the scheme and the scheme works. But right now it kind of feels that there's four guys, maybe five with Gerald Everett, that if they're not there for the offense, there's just nothing. Um, I think what's weird is that you've been true outside of quarterback is offensive line. They've had games where you like plug in Jordan Simmons and Phil Haynes and Jamarco Jones and thing the thing just kind of rolls. Like even that game where Damian Lewis started at center, it was like, oh, I mean, it wasn't great, but we just beat the Cardinals uh, and looked <laughs> and, and looked fine. Uh, but yeah, everywhere else, it just has not worked. Receiver, um, tight end for the most part, running back, it does. I, I just put out a story today. Let me see. I'm going to read some of these numbers here. I don't like to read a bunch of numbers on podcasts because people confuse people. But, like, listen to, like, look at Rashad Penny. And among running backs with at least 10 carries, he has the second highest percentage of runs for zero or negative yards. He ranks 95th in yard per carry, 91st in success rate, and dead last in percentage of runs that gain a first down, which is he has zero. I mean, it's a small sample. He's only played in three games and ran the ball 15 times, but good Lord. Like, it just, the running game just falls apart. And then Alex in a lot of those similar categories ranks no higher than uh, – he's eighth. He's, he's 25th in, like, success rate. I think that's the highest he has in terms of the positive numbers. And, and they, oh, he's 25th in percentage of carries that get a first down. So, like, he's, like, a low-end starter, Alex Collins is. But, like, good Lord, they just don't – they don't tailor things. They don't have a good plan, you're right, Adam, for like, all right, we don't have this guy, so now what? And it does not – it does not go well. And I don't know how different that is from other teams, but I feel like you see it – we've seen a little bit of it with the Bucks, a little bit of it when the Packers have had to play without Devontae. They're like undefeated without him, which is weird. Uh, we've seen a lot of it with the Patriots. They'd be plugging guys in left and right. It's like, oh, this guy's out, well, whatever. The next guy is just going to have 100 yards. It's a weird, whether it's a receiver, running back, or, or tight end. So, yeah, it's it's been a very – Ravens kind of do with their secondary, too. It's very strange. I don't even really know what, what the origin of it is. But, yes, I think there's something to the idea that like, when a guy is not in the system, the system just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so, on Sunday, I don't – it wasn't much – it was just another example of it. Um, things being turgid, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty miserable. Um, and I mean, Mike was there. I know Green Bay is his favourite city to go and visit <laughs> on uh, Carbon Seattle. so bad, but, man. <laughs> just t- talk, talk on it because, you know, we, we it's Friday. The game was on Sunday. I've kind of forgotten about the game. So let's have some fun and talk about at least the stories of you getting there and back and going to that redneck bar at some point on Friday night. And let's try and get some good stories out of it at least. So this was this was a, a really like it felt like a Dave Chappelle skit or like a, a skit out of the show Atlanta. It was just so classic. Um, getting to Green Bay is like a shit show, really. Um, it might be one of the only NFL cities that doesn't have a major airport within like thirty minutes. I would say. I don't know where you fly into Buffalo, but I think they got their own joint. So um, 
Actually, I don't know. I haven't flown everywhere to say that confidently. But my point is, it's, it's there's no reason to have an NFL team there. It's honestly not even really a reason to have a <laughs> D1 college football team there. Uh, so I flew to what I flew, flew to Chicago and then flew to like Appleton, which is some small town, 30 minutes. Uh, actually, I don't know how big or small Appleton is, but it's about 30 minutes from Green Bay. And then the homie Matt Schneidman picked me up. Uh, he's our Packers rider. Picked me up and then took me to um, – he took me to a place. I don't remember the name, but it was it was definitely my vibe. And that's weird. I didn't think there would be such a place in downtown Green Bay. They was playing like Meg the Stallion and Lil Wayne as soon as we walked up. And uh, there was a dude at the door like with a wand, like the security joint. that like waves you down to make sure you don't have any like brass knuckles or, or, or assault weapons, assault rifles or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, oh, OK, that's a little weird for a bar. Um, it wasn't a club. It was like a bar. Right? Usually bars don't wand you down. Um, so, like, all right, whatever. Go in there. Having a great time. Music is great. Oh, super great. Uh, right up my vibe. It matches all my song of the days that you'll see me post. Just a good environment. And we just, we left. We did a little bar hopping. We go to this other place. And it's like straight out of Pullman, Wazoo, College Town. <laughs> You know, we're here. It's top 40 hits on the radio, you know, Taylor Swift or whatever, Fergie, like very poppy, you know, stuff. And as you would expect, they were not checking anybody at the door. No wand, no nothing. I just, as soon as we walked in, I was just like, oh, they, they didn't? Oh, uh, okay. All right. You're One place associates this type of music with this type of environment. The other place associates this type of music with this type of environment. Okay. I see where we're going with this. Uh, and like it was classic out of like a, a sketch comedy and a, like a, on the darker tone of this. Remember, this is the state where the, the Kyle, whatever his name is, trial is going on. It's over now. But at that time, the trial is like in this state. And you like look at how one group of people and one music is viewed like, like it's inherently dangerous. And this other place, it's other group is not. But then go Google what Kyle looks like. And you're like, huh. Who really is the dangerous people? You know, I was just kind of. I thought about that the whole time I was there. I was with another black dude, who uh, he works at the TV station out there. His name is uh, Chancellor, and I was like, I was. We were talking. I was like, man, this place is white as hell. He's like, yeah, man, so it's Green Bay. I was like, you notice they ain't pat us down in here, right? He's like, oh yeah. He started laughing. I don't even know if he had thought about that before. But yeah, that's Green Bay, Wisconsin for you. Well, that's everywhere, but that's I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is like the jokes write themselves. As soon as Taylor Swift comes on, nobody's a threat no more. Make this die comes on, we make sure you ain't got no knives. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't really know where to go from that. Because uh, Adam, I have I have one more point. Like it's really boring talking about the Seahawks offense right now because it's really boring watching the Seahawks offense right now. But there's <laughs> this idea that like run the ball. They didn't run the ball enough, and I don't even know whether I subscribe to that or not. But my question is. I kind of feel like a lot of that run the ball stuff is being used as a narrative because that's what the Seahawks used to do a lot of and do really well. Do they actually, and I know you had the, uh, Sam Gold on your podcast this week, you did a really good breakdown of what was going on, but are they actually good enough to just run the ball 25 times and experience better results than they're getting? Because I get the idea of doing it and yeah, maybe 11 times wasn't enough on Sunday, but there's nothing about the run game that strikes me as that explosive or interesting that it's going to, you know, start racking up 30, 40 points a game if they start leaning on that with the personnel they're using? Um, 
it depends on what the defense is giving you. I really think that like running the running game is is really a numbers game. It really is. Uh, I think it was next gen stats that said the Packers had light boxes, which is six or fewer defenders in the t- in the tackle box, um, like ninety seven percent of the time, which is like the second highest they've recorded this year, or probably in a lot of years. That's a that's a lot of dare you to run on us type of activity. And yeah, in those type of situations, yeah, you should be able to run it just fine. Honestly, you should be able to run it down somebody's throat. The most extreme example of this um, is, I think it was, I forget what week it was, but it was last year. The Bills played the Chiefs, and the Chiefs had essentially let everyone know we're a pass-first team. And the Bills were like, okay, cool. So there's no reason for us to play these eight-man boxes. We need to make sure Mahomes doesn't freaking kill us. And the Bills did that most of the game, and the Chiefs ran for like 250 yards. And it was just that is ideally what Pete Carroll would want to do. I think the Vikings did something similar in like twenty, say like twenty eighteen, and then the Seahawks ran down their throat. Maybe it was twenty nineteen, um, but they played the too high thing. Like, hey, you're not going to throw over our heads, and they were just like, all right, cool, we're going to run for like two hundred yards, which I think they did. That is ideally the plan, but and you need Chris. <laughs> you do like he's the he's the he's the best guy. I, I like Alex. Like I say, he's like a low end starter like he's if he's probably the 28th best running back in the league or something like that for whatever that's worth um and that's cool but when you want to be like a top 10 rushing offense you either need a top 10 run blocking o-line or you need a top 10 running back and they don't have either of those things uh so i do think given the right situation yeah you can be an explosive uh run team if the de- if that's what the defense is daring you to do because as much as teams think they can still stop the run with these split safety looks, like it's still just really hard to do that. It's hard to be a good run defense with light boxes. They're just kind of the reality of it. So you got to run them out of those light boxes. Can they do it? Yeah, I think so. They could have done it against the Packers. I really don't know why they, they didn't. When I rewatched the game, I was like, dude, they are daring you guys to run. What are you doing? And they just didn't make it happen. Yeah. Uh, Adam mentioned at the start uh, what I wrote. I've had it. Um, in the works for a couple of weeks after the Saints game, I, I've basically said that it feels like it's over, but I get the sense, Mike, that you uh, that you think I've maybe gone too early on that. That it, there is a lot more juice in the tank. Obviously, they got maybe Kyler Murray, they got the Cardinals on Sunday, which doesn't feel anything but ominous, really. So, I, what's your what's your take on my take? I guess is my question. I haven't got to read the the piece yet, but um, someone asked me on Twitter. They was like, "Mike, is it time to panic?" I said, "It was time to panic when Russ's finger went the other way." You know, like that was. I didn't know how severe it was at the time because um, I was I'm real squeamish, so I didn't actually look at a bunch of reviews on the TV the night that he hurt his finger because it was just bugging me. Um, but when he didn't speak to us after the game, I was like, "Oh shit, this is this is pretty bad." Uh, and so like when that, when that happened, that was the time to panic. That was the time to be like, this thing is over. I mean, and then when he went on IR, I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is done. There are some people here. I'm like, I'm at the VMAC. There's some people here who would have told you, no, no, no. Gino can like keep him above water. And I would tell those guys in training camp, like you guys are fucking drunk. Like this, <laughs> this, this roster is not built to, I don't know how anybody could see anything the last few years to think that this roster is built to like carry a backup quarterback because that's what backup quarterbacks need, right? They don't come in here and light the thing up. They come in here and don't mess it up. That's the difference between them and a 
a really good starter. A starter can be like, hey, your right tackle's out today or your number one receiver is kind of banged up. We just need you to kind of be Superman, at least just today. I mean, not every day, just, just today. Unless you're Lamar Jackson, then it's every day. Uh, and the start, a good quarterback in this league can be like, yeah, okay, cool. Like if I got to make some stuff happen, scramble a little bit, throw it downfield, maybe be more patient, change some stuff with the line, I can you know, make it happen. A backup quarterback is like, okay, we're going to make sure everyone around you does their job at a really high level to help you out. That's the difference. And I just looked at the roster thinking, all right, so the pass protection is bad. Don't have Chris Carson. Because um, remember, Chris had already gotten hurt in the Niners game by the time it was time for Gino to start. So you don't have Chris Carson. Uh, you, you, your pass rush isn't very good. I mean, in that Saints game, they didn't have Daryl. Uh, and it was just like their receiving threats just weren't there. Like there were all these reasons to think like, man, if Russ has to miss an extended amount of time, these guys are screwed. And what do you know? It came to fruition. You just look at if this team can't get to the NFC championship game, what is Russ, you know, what, 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 what does Russ want to stay here for? For what? You know, he's going to be rich wherever he plays. He'll be successful wherever he plays. The cameras will follow him wherever he plays. He'll be able to own a piece of the Sounders and, have a baseball team in Portland, wherever he plays. So, you know, I, I just think that, yeah, you're, you're on it, Stu. It, the time to panic was when Russ didn't speak to the media after the Rams game. That was the time to know, like, uh, we got to go without Russ. The Seahawks without Russ are a bad football team. Like, they might even be a bad one this year with Russ, but there's, like, no doubting the Seahawks without Russell Wilson are a bad team. I could have told you that in august in july like any you know they were a bad team before they got russ <laughs> you know like without russ bad team so uh yeah that's it, i feel it feels like this is the beginning of of the end of this of this era so i'm just gonna try to enjoy it while i can do you think with wilson and this is gonna seem like there's recency bias at play here because obviously sunday was not his greatest day but I guess if you look at the last 16 games that he's played in, so like the last season, so which maybe takes us roughly back to that Buffalo game, things haven't been quite right for him for whatever reason. And that may be schematic, be system, Pete Carroll, whatever. With a guy going who's going to be 34 next year, who certainly had physical attributes that helped him elevate himself you know, to one of the top five quarterbacks. Can we still like absolutely safely say that that's the bracket in the league that he he's operating in? Because there's probably, there's been quite a lot of bad games in his last 16. Now, I, I don't want, I, I want Wilson to stay forever because I've seen the other side of the coin now and I want no part of it. Like I'll stick with us <laughs> as long as he wants to be there because there's, 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 enough, there's enough there as far as I can see to be better than what's coming up through through college. But I don't know. Is there is there room for like a shred of concern with him? Um I, I don't so let's see uh, let's let's see how I can put it in a way that's digestible. So Mike Sando, my colleague does like his NFL quarterback tiers every mm. summer where he talks to executives, um, people around the league to get a feel for how they view quarterbacks. I think it's very important to know that's not Mike ranking the quarterbacks himself. He talks to the league. It's a good real uh, like inside track about how, how do the leagues look at these guys. 
and it's I think it's tiers one through four, and it doesn't include rookies um, in in, the, in those particular years. So I think Russ has been tier one. You guys can double check this. He's been tier one for the last like three years, I think, in that. And tier one is kind of defined as like, hey, we win games because we got this guy. And it's a tricky way to view that because that's also an indictment of what's around you uh, as well. But for the most part, the Seahawks win games because they have have Russell Wilson. And that would be the case even if I think even if the talent around him got better, like it would still be very clearly like, oh, the number three is the reason that they're doing this thing. Uh, with the exception of they had like the Legion of Boom again. Like it was very clear they were winning games because they had the best scoring defense in the league and like a generational talent at running back. And their quarterback was like very good. But it was very clear that other parts were running the ship. I mean, in terms of just pure talent, when they won the Super Bowl, where did Russ rank on just most talented players on the team? It was probably, probably like fourth, which is like saying a lot. It was really good players uh, on that squad. Same thing when they lost the Super Bowl. And then I would say since 2016, he has been like unequivocally in the top three, I, I would say. Because uh, Earl, before Earl kind of lost it, Earl was like one of the best like 12 players in the NFL, <laughs> if you're very clear about that. And Bobby, like Bobby got to the 100 club in Madden and Bob, way before Russ. You know, Bobby uh, has been all pro like six times in a row. Russ has never been first team all pro. Like they very clear there been other people who have been more talented. Russ has been more valuable. But to bring that back to your question about where he might stand, the only thing I could say is there might be an argument that he maybe belongs in like the top of tier two of those, you know, whereas like you could argue the only tier one guys are Brady, Rogers, and Mahomes. And then Russ, instead of being right there, is more in the Lamar um Josh Allen, uh, who else am I? I'm missing somebody else really good. Oh, Dak. I don't actually I don't know. Dak might be a tier one. Dak's good as shit. Uh, but you guys get my point. Whereas like those guys might be like really high tier two. Um which I mean you're still the difference between really high tier two and like bottom tier two, top of tier three is really high for me. Like if I got a guy in the top of tier three, I'm looking for a quarterback in the draft. Whereas if I got a guy in upper tier two, like I'm fine. Like Adam said, I don't want to see what the other side looks like. The fight fucking yeah. stinks. So yeah, if 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 Russ has fallen a little bit, he's still, you know, one of the six or seven best quarterbacks in the league, which is saying a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's the people who may have passed him or caught him up. There's people like, I mean, where would you? Justin Herbert would be in that conversation, or is it still a bit early for him? Or yeah, I got to see Justin a little bit more. I haven't watched a lot of tape on him. Uh, I think Justin, Josh Allen, um, we're probably going to see in the conversation with Burrow. Is that just like there is a lot projected on them when they look the part? Mm-hmm. Um, like just when you're a big, tall, strong arm white guy, like people just project that you look the part and that you're just really good. Uh, and if you just have like a good run, it's like, oh yes, this is going to be the thing because you have all the other things. You don't seem to have the deficiencies physically that like Kyler is better than all of the guys I just named. Um, so, but he doesn't look, look that part, quote unquote. So we'll have, we'll have to see on Justin. I would put Kyler up there before I put Justin because Kyler, that, that dude is just different. <laughs> the only thing that stops him is when he gets hurt. That's it. 
yeah. a healthy Kyler just cooking shit every year, and then he gets hurt, and he's not the same guy. But when Kyler is on, there's very few people who have his combination of of wheels and arm talent, not just strength. Like Kyler puts stuff on a rope that you just can't do. I'm talking about scramble right, put that joint opposite hash while <laughs> under pressure, you know, on a on a dime to like Christian Kirk. That that is that's different. So yeah, Russ is, Russ is still going to be one of those guys. He's still in the franchise quarterback category in yeah. a way that you that'll never be a debate in the way that you could make that case with Kirk Cousins. Uh, I would say Derek Carr before, but I don't know. He might be actually a franchise guy now. Derek, Derek's been pretty good, but you get the point. Like mm-hmm. Russ is still a tier above those guys, which is really all that matters when you're trying to build a team. Yeah, uh, two things. Kyler is electric, like effortless yeah. and electric. And also on that draft a quarterback conversation per Jay Glazer, it seems like Cleveland are circling and having that conversation because it seems to be, I don't know, it's a weird, weird vibe around Baker Mayfield this year. I mean, he just ran OBJ out of Ohio and and Jay Glazer goes on saying they could be in the market for a quarterback. And I think Russell was one of the people he may have mentioned or may have misheard or misread that. But, but yeah, there seems to be questions about more about people you probably expect there to be conversations about, Adam. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be, I think, you know, Mike, when you kicked off a lot of the off-season stuff with your brilliant piece last year, I guess no one, you know, you guys caught a lot of heat for the idea of, oh, it's a media, you know, manifestation, there's no chance Wilson's leaving this summer. But that was never the point, as far as I, I could read from your article. The point was... There is now an issue, and this is going to probably come up this time next year if the team don't win. So, you know, I, I think we've all been we've all been looking forward almost in a way to the next off season because something seems like it's going to have to give. And I went into this year quite excited at the fact that when this season ends, something's going to happen. Therefore, this season should be quite exciting. And actually, as I've said to Stuart, the complete opposite has happened for me this year. I, I found this season miserable. And yet, like Russell Wilson being injured three primetime games in a row, like is kind of as bad as it gets for, for us over here. And I've had a few, <laughs> com- <laughs> you know, I've had a few conversations with, with American listeners to the show that say, you know, I, I quite like how you guys go into the idea of you know, being fans over there. And I'm not sure we've ever talked about it enough. And I'm not sure we've spoken about it with you, Mike, but like, we put quite a lot into following this team. Like obviously everyone, does we're not better fans than americans we're not worse fans. we're just different because of the time which is you know the, the biggest issue and we Stuart, i'm speaking on behalf of Stuart. neither of us have enjoyed a second of this year and i don't know why but like yeah. it's i've been really flat about it not angry just flat about like, what is the point yeah. um doing that's like maybe just us being over here and just we have to put, just put different effort into it than other people or is that a view that's generally seen across the board? Um, that's a good question. I do think part of it is the best part about rooting for your team is rooting for the individuals, I think. Um, so, and to do that, you have to have guys worth rooting for. Well, how do you know if a guy's worth rooting for? Well, you hear from them, you learn about them, you read about them, but that's lost when you lose. I was just talking to my editor uh, last week, I know this week, and I was just like, yeah, I don't, why would I write? any like feature stuff or anything insightful about any particular player when their pass rush is bad. Like there's really just nothing 
for me to I, there's no one to me to introduce you to or give you a different lens into I had some ideas but when they're losing who gives a shit that's just kind of where it goes and then you're just kind of rooting for the people you're familiar with and then the most familiar people on here um they're just having weird seasons and it's like okay is bobby still having a great season you, you know if you ask someone like brock Hewitt, it's like no and there's all this jamal Jamal adams discourse that's been really bad now dk gets called a brat every week um tyler disappears one game and pops up another game chris carson's injury then russ and then they just then you got the pete carroll discourse and see the coach and there's like the civil war among seahawks twitter about who stays who pete or russ and and it's just like all none of the none of the dynamics are very fun to discuss so i think that's that's part of it none of this is the most fun thing to discuss is right now is trey brown and um quandre diggs and if you really want to get nerdy with football it's it's outwoods outwoods is probably one of the, the most five most important players uh this year on either side of the ball beyond that there's not a lot of fun discussions um to be had about any of the particular players any position group in particular that i think that contributes to and then on top of that the losing and the losing in ways that like frustrating is obviously the word because you lose but it feels like each loss and the way it happens in some way comes back to the Pete Russ rift that we wrote about, whether it's how the game ends or the, how, how the game is called or just there's, I told Jackson on the cigar thoughts joint, the problem with Pete and Russ and the rift is that they both are right and they're both wrong. So how the hell can they proceed there? And the O-line stuff is like the most perfect example. Shout out to the homie Larry Holder at the athletic he just did a mid-season assessment of every of uh pass protection across the league he isolated uh, offensive linemen and that's not a, a, a total picture of pass protection you know tight ends are involved in a lot of protections so are running backs in particular on third downs and the quarterbacks obviously control their sack and pressure rate but the exercise was still instructive i think and if you look at the o-line that disc- that right there that little section of the team building is so it's so fascinating towards the Russ Pete discussion. Cause on one hand, Pete can be like, uh, dude, get rid of the fucking ball and we will have better sack numbers, better pressure numbers. Like it's that simple. And and he's right. And then Russ can be like, okay, cool. Get me better O linemen, and then we'll I won't take as many hits and sack. And like again, they're both right. The O line dilemma is like a perfect window into the discussion of the rift between pete and carol and how they are both right both have flawed arguments and there's really no reason for them to give like why would you why would you come off that position if you're russ when you're the one who's got to get in the ice bath or go swim after games because you be getting hit and if you're pete's like dude we're watching film we keep drafting linemen some of whom go on to actually be good when they leave here um for whatever reason uh and I'm trying to work with you. And then it's like, what are you going to do? So I think there are a ton of reasons why this season doesn't feel as enjoyable. But I do think if you're like interested in the future, analyzing the the, the O-line and its impact on the game on top of the rest, roster construction uh, aspect of it from Pete's view, and you just get like the perfect way to look at why Pete and Russ just can't coexist beyond this season. Yeah, uh, one of those people you mentioned, I think it's something that I think caught Alan's attention after Sunday is the conversation the 
wording and phrasing used around DK Metcalf. And I think someone on social media pointed out it's very Sherman-like. It may have even been you, Mike, but someone on social media pointed out that the way he's described how he acts on the field is very Sherman-like. And it's it's there is clear connotations with some of it. I think like you're probably better versed with that for how he's described when you compare him to other people in the league and how they they act. But it's 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 a little bit disappointing because he's a 23, 24 year old kid, guy, man in a physical sport, a mentally taxing sport, who is one of many people on that team who's making mistakes. But for some reason, when he makes a misstep as he did um, on Sunday and he came out and uh, fronted up to it. It's the conversation around it is completely different. And that's kind of unsurprising and disappointing in equal measures, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Let me, I'm going to go real deep here, <laughs> but um, sports are a microcosm of society in many, many, many ways. In general, white people are not very good at discussing black people just generally speaking just whatever just at anything just that just not very good at that particular topic um and white people in general are not very good at discussing the emotions of black people uh, that's just this is not about sport it's a general societal observation that is supported by practically every fucking thing <laughs> uh and, and so if you put that into the sports landscape the draft is a perfect example of white people not knowing how to talk about black people it's really gross language we use in the draft but um if you take that and apply it to the emotions of black people and just overall demeanors and behaviors maybe i should say that they don't know how to discuss the behaviors of black people and that covers a few things like how they how we speak how we dress how we how we uh exude joy or unhappiness all of those things you have to really understand black people to discuss like in a way that's worth me hearing you speak and receivers and quarterbacks black quarterbacks and black receivers tend to bring out the worst in that discourse yeah, I remember the sports media landscape is largely still a white man industry, middle-aged white man industry, which is important because the players are pretty young. And because of that, we get all of this coded language and it, it comes to like the policing of black just behavior. And it's just this really bad discussion. And DK is just one example. I think Cam Newton in the last like 10 years is probably the best example. How people discuss Cam Newton is just so bad. Um, and not bad as if like I have a take is right or wrong. It's just you can just tell it's just a mess. It's just people howling into the wind and it's just it gets nowhere because it lacks. There's only so many people qualified to talk about it. The, the number of people qualified to talk about someone like Cam, who's a very layered individual, uh, it's the, the versus the number of people who actually talk about Cam the list is fucking long. And a really good window into Cam is the Cam Chronicles, the podcast on I think it's on the Ringer. By the homie uh, Tyler Tynes. Um, don't tell Tyler I shouted him out, but that like gave a good window into the who Cam is and why he is so complicated to discuss. In the decade prior to him, I would say maybe Michael Vick would be the other um, really good example. 
although I was like in middle school for some of that. But the point is that DK is probably the next example of it. It was like the torch was kind of from, it went from Cam to Odell Beckham, and now we're getting to, to DK and um and to another to uh, to go to a different sport like Kyrie Irving is another good uh example and to take it even globally I would say uh, Naomi Osaka this year uh was probably another good example of that when black people express any type of behaviors that just don't that white people don't either understand or, or understand the historical con- historical context behind or just naturally jive with it just gets to this weird place of bad 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 takes that we don't even realize are coded sometimes are that rooted in like this unconscious bias and there's so many examples to just throw at 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 people and like juxtapose the discussions of like oh this person won't talk to the media but this person's a malcontent if they don't want to right if this person celebrates touchdowns this way but this we don't like the way this person does it right like it's there's so many examples from you know uh tebow the way his religion is discussed versus other people versus how travis kelsey gets to dancing around or aaron Rodgers celebrates versus how cam newton gets to celebrate it's just there's all these there's all these things. and that's not even to talk about like the political part of it where someone like tom can have the maga hat in his locker versus like uh you know malcolm jenkins and eric reed and how you know they take their stands for for black people so it's really it's it's a lot. Like I said, I was gonna get deep there because that's really what it is. We could discuss DK in particular and whether he brings attention to himself and the nature of his position and how we view receivers in general. Uh, but I do think it's bigger than that. It is a fundamental error in our sports media landscape that you get a lot of people who are not equipped to discuss the behaviors of Black people discussing the behaviors of Black people in an authoritative manner, and it leads to a ton of terrible discourse. Yeah, I don't. Hmm. It's, it's a great point. I mean, coming from a minority myself, which is not necessarily as culturally different as like white Christian, but we are different. And there's stuff that like our culture do that others don't. And I do kind of, you know, with my mom, like it's, we're looking at like, I don't know if you have this in America, but every advert in the U, in the UK, when they're doing Christmas dinner, they carve their turkey by like slicing bread like taking slices off the breasts. This is such a ridiculous point. I can't even believe it's going to make any sense. They're like, put the knife in, put the fork in, they take the slices off the breast. And it's like completely different to how any Jewish family would cut their like turkeys or chickens. And it's just something that you could spot a mile off that like, that's what they do. This is what they do. And so I, I kind of get, you know, not, this is a much more, um, less serious uh, you know, cultural difference than kind of what you're talking about, but I, I do get the idea of like, yeah, when 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 there are when you grow up in a completely different environment to the people that are talking about you, it does end up leading to an awful lot of discussion that isn't really qualified to to count. Yeah, it gets it gets it just I guess the Cam's been the best example, right? Didn't Cam get benched for not wearing a tie? Yeah, he didn't no, say Ron Rivera benched him. That was against that, the Seahawks. Seahawks. Yeah, yeah. Derek Anderson. Is it a pick six? Yeah, it was a, a pick on the yeah. at least a pick on the first play because he was yeah, yeah. or something. He did because he didn't wear a tie to yeah. get on the bus but, or, plane I, or something like that. And it's like that. It's the policing of the behaviors there. It's just like 
your point is the point of the guys doing that i'm sure is to be like hey i want my guys to look a certain way but the le- the person you least have to worry about showing up to the bus looking professional is cam newton like he's not showing up looking like bill belichick in a ripped but that's another thing though it's like okay how are you supposed to present yourself i want my guys to dress a certain way but then like how many people have ever talked poorly about how bill belichick dresses that dude looks like he's fucking standing outside begging for change, okay? but no one, no one cares. Okay? Yeah. But then what will Colin Cowherd do? He'll go on this diatribe about whether Jay Cutler's hat is backwards or something like that. Right. And it's, it's so, it, we, like I said, we don't even realize, realize how coded it is. Maybe we do and just don't care, but like the, the landscape is so poor that it's just, it, it leads to all these bad takes that we don't even, rec- like, of course, is DK behaving immaturely out there? Yeah. You know, but I think, the way we discuss it beyond that simple sentence right there, DK is behaving immaturely. Like then we get into stuff like, Oh, he's a, he's a, he's a diva. Um, and then we project all these things about what that's doing to teammates without talking to teammates. Has anybody ever heard of a teammate say, Oh, Dell's a bad teammate. When was the last time we heard that? But everyone he went, swears. He went on a boat. Once. He's the reason that. Yeah. I mean, he, he went on a boat once wore Tim's. He had like, largely speaking. He had the entire Rams. How many times have you heard a teammate say that he's a bad teammate? How many times have you heard Never. How many times have you had someone come out and say that? Even guys on the Giants, mm. like AB, people came out and were like, hey, nah, I play with AB. <laughs> like, it's been very clear. Odell, not the same. Nobody on the Browns. Like, don't. there hasn't been this, like, deep dive hit piece yet on how Odell ruined the Browns. No, because he didn't. Even even with the Giants, like they do some immature stuff, with, like the field goal net and his beef with Josh Norman. Like, yeah, that was a little weird. Yeah. Um, but like we project these other things, like ah, yes, DK, malcontent. Um, I, I remember, I remember. Um, it was like the, the, the it's like the Seahawks, the Seahawks wanted somebody, and it was like I don't want them around DK or something like that. And I'm just like, how do you know how DK gets down or how teammates perceive how X player gets down? It's just all these bad projections that we make that like you're this locker room cancer. That's the other thing. Everyone loves locker room cancer. How do you fucking know? Uh, you know, Sherm got called a locker room cancer. Guys in his locker room love Sherm. Michael Bennett got called that. Guys in the locker room would die for Michael Bennett. And it was just like it was all these projections based on a lot of nothing. Uh, and so I think that's where DK's the D, the DK discussion is is like actually worth something. It's not just uh, he brings a lot of attention to himself. He's got to grow up. I mean, that's part of it. But it's like how he's discussed is about more than just whether he's immature or not. It's like maybe the people who talk about him aren't mature enough to do that in a way that doesn't make them sound stupid and old. Yeah, I mean it happens in soccer as well because my soccer team have have got four or five players playing one position. There's only one of them who's being dubbed as lazy and needs to work harder. And I'll give you two guesses of what uh, what uh, his skin colour is, uh, Mike. Um, but on DK, I mean, there's always even talk about, oh, he's, he, this is a sign that he doesn't want to stay. He wants to leave the Seahawks. I mean, that's just, that's another layer to it, just because he got ejected once with the, what game, what, 75 seconds left in a shutout. Yeah, I think um, we just need to listen to the guys when they speak. Mm. DK said he's tired of losing, so he got angry and wanted to fight someone. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that should be the most relatable feeling in Seattle right now. 
How yeah. do, does not every 12 get frustrated losing and probably want to fight someone after <laughs> when they see the team score zero points? Yeah. Like, I'm not emotionally invested in the team, but if I was, that would be a very – that's how I feel when Wazoo loses. I won't fight somebody. You know, like, <laughs> I, I get it. Like, I, I, under, I understand the feeling uh, of being so angry at your favorite team or whatever, your favorite, your favorite thing not going your way, and being just so angry you can't control what you're doing. Like, how many people have, like, you know, punched out the air or swore in public when they would, would normally wouldn't or punched a wall or thrown something or, like, needed a stress ball or had to go for a walk because they're angry. Like, there's been so many – I feel like it's just a re- relatable emotion. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of this thing that makes me feel unhappy happening to me. So I need to get that out somehow. And then he plays a sport where you run into people all goddamn day. So I just really don't think that anybody even wanted to listen. You know, he said, I'm tired of losing. You know, I got, I got hot-headed and, you know, that's what happened. Okay, yeah. get it. Don't do that anymore. You know, it, it doesn't have to be some discussion about, like, his character or an indictment of, like, his ability, his willingness to want to be here. Or just, he said it. I got upset because we're fucking losing. We scored zero <laughs> points. Yeah. It's really we not that. It's not even really that deep. Yeah. yeah, we had it over here on uh, on our like main TV channel, the most like successful captain of a team in Premier League history. Uh, it's like a, an Irish guy who, and everyone loves it when he gets angry because he's like the funny white guy that gets angry. And he said, you know, if we were losing, sometimes I just used to go and smash someone just to feel something. And like memes and out of context, Roy Keane all over social media, but. It doesn't even bear thinking about if a black person, if a black guy said the same thing, or black black guy or woman said the same thing, because it would be construed in a completely different way to the comedy that's followed that sentence around with uh, this guy Roy Keane saying that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I don't know why. I mean, we talked about enjoyment earlier. I, I don't know what it was, but I really enjoyed watching Cam Newton play and that I'm back thing it was just it like it actually made me like smile in like a weird way because it was just the dude got like ran out of town 19 months ago they make some they made a terrible decision clearly doing that and then they make consecutive terrible decisions and he comes back and he scores after being with the team what 30 hours 36 hours and it was just it was really really cool i think in a like really simple way to put it just to watch him do that i think I, yeah it just i watched it i was like that is that's awesome watching him do that on sunday i think uh i haven't gotten to watch i haven't even seen the touchdown he had i've been so busy uh, i haven't really got to catch up on the rest of the league yet but i do think on cam i want to say like obj just some of the guy like it, it extends beyond um uh, basketball, or excuse me, football, to it's the idea that, like, someone who's not an underdog, we also talk away about them versus people who are underdogs, right? Like, it's just, I feel like people, like, naturally associate themselves with the underdog, the person who was cut from their team or didn't make it or is undersized or whatever, and it's just, like, if you know, like, put it this way, look at everybody who's like an undrafted person or a late round pick, or and then in the NBA, look at people who are like a second round pick or undrafted who, when they get paid, look at how when they sign contracts, look at how this, it, how many people say, ah, it's easy to root for this guy. Like, I love stories like these, I love rooting for guys like this. Okay, but then 
Like, let's see how many look that's never really said when a guy a first round pick gets his bag. Why not? Why why is it not easy to root for a guy who's who's you know uh who's gonna get paid it's like a first round pick? Like Mahomes or whatever, right? Like why is it not easy to root for that guy? When Christian McCaffrey got paid, you know, he was a well, he's you know, it's different a white guy, but uh, you guys get my my the gist yeah. of my point here. There's like that association with those guys, and it's a physical thing too. I think when you're like scrawny or not built like in a physically imposing way, people naturally gravitate project themselves onto you. Whereas like no one can see themselves in DK, no one can see themselves in Cam Newton. You can't. And then LeBron James and Steph Curry is another window into this as well. Like Steph gets like the underdog labels. Like dude, your dad was in the NBA. Like your odds of making the NBA were exponentially higher than all of your competitors just because of that one thing right there. But because he's, you know, his Jersey was too big when he's in college. And even then, you know, he didn't have the facial hair for a little bit. The underdog thing gets projected on him becomes a little easier to root for, for a lot of people versus like LeBron. It's like, well, six, eight physical specimen. You were going to make the NBA, you know, you were called the chosen one, at like 15. You know, I think that goes into how we talk about people like Cam, who's like, he, he's just, He's the guy. He's a favorite. He's a front runner. And then, God forbid, those dudes behave accordingly. <laughs> then it's really <laughs> over. Uh, but like, I think that that feeds into it too. Whether people want to acknowledge that or not, I think that's really natural. That's why in the NCAA tournament, people are rooting for who gives a fuck state over Duke, right? Because they see themselves in you know the Loyola, whoever Loyola Chicago 16 seed more than they see themselves in a Kentucky. They don't see themselves as a front runner. People see mm-hmm. themselves as the Browns more than they do the Patriots of the last two decades. And that changes how people root for and, and discuss a lot of these teams too. Again, I think that one's a little bit more subconscious, but once you say it out loud and you think about it, it's like, yeah, everyone roots for these underdogs for what? What's so inherently cool about someone who wasn't good enough at first? Like, I think there's something cool about being good enough the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I I see, I think that's cool too. I mean, Cam has won pretty much since he's picked up, a pigskin, isn't he? Because he won Juco, he won at Auburn with Atel Ross, and then he, he won for most of his first stint in Carolina. He was winning a little bit with a bad New England team last year with all the, like, no Hightower and everyone else. But And he just, yeah, he's, he's uh, I don't know why. I think it maybe is just defensive because people seem to drag on him a bit, but he's easily one of my favourite people to watch and listen to. The, 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 Roundtable he did last year with I can't remember who who was on that was it Shady McCoy and people he did when he when he said this oh I think that was Odell Victor Cruz that's it Victor Cruz yeah 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 uh there, there was a fourth person I want to say I, I know Odell and, and Vic yeah I mean like, Vic just, was the narrator for it yeah or moderator whatever yeah 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 there yeah, Cam Cam's probably the best Cam's a really fascinating cat and yes he has one at every level um but like. So guys in the 2019 draft are going to start getting extensions this offseason, and one of them might be Kyler. He, he has a fifth-year option too. But, like, Kyler's also been good since the day he was freaking born, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, he, the, way his, the way when he gets paid will be discussed far differently from, like, a personal level than, like, some late-round pick in the 2019 draft who ends up getting paid. Uh, and it's, it's, that, it's that right there that I think is an underrated part of this. So, like, people can't see themselves in someone who's been good their whole life. Just the every man, you know the every, the fan is the every man. Hunter fans out here just rooting, beating like yeah, yeah. Hunter Renfro, Hunter Renfro get paid, 
it's going to be a different discussion than when Kyler gets paid. Right? <laughs> it's going to be Hunter's going to be one of those stories that watch people watch how many people say when Hunter gets paid, this is one of those stories that makes you love the game. Watch how many people say something to that <laughs> extent. Nobody's going to say that about Kyler Murray getting paid. Why? Why? And you, you just hold the psychological thing about like underdogs and seeing yourself in the everyman. The everyman is not like Hunter Renfro either, just because he's white. The things Hunter can do, the everyman cannot do, just like Kyler. You can't run routes like Hunter. You can't catch like Hunter. You can't run fast like Hunter. You can't jump like Hunter. You can't take hits like Hunter. But yet people see themselves in Hunter. What? So no, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's like a weird. It's a football thing that is really about like fandom and the mindset of fans too. That I've learned to dive into more as I've gotten into this whole beat writer thing. Yeah, I mean, he won the national title twice at Clemson. Uh, Adam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of uh, speaking of you on the beat, I mean, someone that Stu and I root for every day when we see them at work is Michael Sean Duba. And uh, we said at the start, you know, we've had you on like for the last four or five years now and a uh, friend of the show, friend of us, you know, we can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks time. And it's great to get to hear you talk about such different things than maybe you were talking about at Seattle PI and having, and we've discussed this briefly about what the athletic has brought, you know, from a liberation standpoint of, of speech and what you can talk about, what you will talk about. How are you doing? Because, you know, you've been on must be seven, eight times. Our, our listeners know you and follow you. And, like, I think maybe March was, was the last time we had you on. So how are you doing? And how, how are things going for you? Because um, that's someone that the whole of the pedestrian podcast nation can certainly get behind. <laughs> Need to shorten that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the uh, the Russ story with Jenks and Sando was like a... a, a that was almost like making an all-star game, but it was like making an all-star game when you've had a few thousand yard seasons already. Nobody just cared. You know, it's like being Allen Robinson or something like, yeah, I've been nice, you know? Um, so that was, that was kind of fun. That was, the, that was definitely fun doing all these national shows and radio shows and stuff like that. You know, asking people I've been listening to on the radio or TV asking me like, Hey, can you come on with us? I'm like, Oh, where? You know, that, that's, that's pretty dope. Uh, but like I said, it wasn't like – I think Trey, Trey Brown said something similar that I really resonated with. You know, he, he was talking about how well he's been playing. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I've been like this. You're surprised. You haven't been paying attention. And it's like, yeah, no, you're right. So that that, that part of the offseason was kind of cool. Uh, I do think – I wish I had more time to dive into some of the other parts of the game that I think I've just been talking about here, the psychological aspect of the sports the, – the, the sports fan – um and the the way that we're the way the sports media landscape is discussed i had a tweet a tweet a twitter thread about it a couple of weeks ago i think talking about how there's just no i talked about this on jackson's podcast too there's just no line there is a line between a journalist an insider and a commentator and that shit is blurred no one knows the difference anymore um and that's kind of making this game really hard like when i see people like tweet yeah guys i'm stepping out of journalism you know just to try something new or they get out for whatever reason i'm like i feel you because it's so weird like you need something to aspire to and it's like if you're a journalist what do you the sports one what are you aspiring to be like like Schefter, like Woj, 
uh, like Shams, who works for, you know, The Athletic? Are you aspiring to be like Chris Haynes at Yahoo? Are you aspiring to be Colin Cowherd, Stephen A., which is what I used to want to be like in high school and college? There's just nothing to really aspire to that's, like, not gross, you know, in, unless, like, you take the, like, the Josina Anderson route, where she's clearly plugged in with people and, like, can get people on the phone and create content with people that she's built relationships with. That's a kind of cool thing. Or is it, like, being, like, a Cam Wolf, shout to Cam on NFL Network, uh, you know, just being a national TV reporter, that's kind of cool. Or is it, like, being Tyler Tynes? Fuck, I'm shouting out Tyler twice. Terrible. <laughs> uh, but, like, Tyler's, you know, they created that position for him at GQ. And he just had all these Q&As and these interviews that have sparked all this con- this uh, conversation, most notably with Scotty Pippen. Uh, like, is that thing to aspire to be? So you definitely get to, it's weird in the space right now because there is no, like, path that's, like, makes sense. Before it kind of did. Before I was, like, cover a beat for a long time, kind of become a columnist. Um, maybe you transition to the radio. Or if you're lucky, you end up on TV. You've seen that exact path. You know, Skip Bayless, Michael Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser, Stephen A. Smith, guys who have made that transition. Like, I covered a beat for a long time. Now people care so much what I have to say that they put me on TV. You know, Bob Ryan, Jackie McMillan, who I actually think just left ESPN. Um, but... Like, that path made some sense. And then you even see people not even want to do that no more. So on a macro level, that's been kind of like, all right, so now what? What do I even, you know, it's not like in the NFL where it's like I can aspire to all pro, pro bowl, Super Bowl, retire, Hall of Fame. Like, there's still a linear path that everyone can kind of follow. Uh, but all right, well, what else? You know, it's kind of, that's kind of a weird thing. But it doesn't matter too much now. I'm only in like year five covering the NFL. But in general, the limitations of being a beat writer are never, they've never been more clear, I think, especially at a time when they're kicking us out of locker rooms and who knows when they're going to let us back in. That was the best part of the goddamn job was on a day like today. It's Friday on a day like today. They, you know, they practice and usually on Fridays we get to walk in the locker room after practice versus before. So you would catch some guys just chilling. This is when we talked to Doug a lot. Um, you know, I would talk to the Griffin twins, you know, um, who else would I chop it up with? Uh, Jerron Brown was, like, surprisingly cool to talk to all the time. Gino, uh, KJ, obviously, you know, Bobby. None of that now. So now it's now we're just, like, decently paid bloggers, I guess, which is not fun. So the, it, if hopefully that can change with as the access improves. But if not... The, the, the landscape of the game is not trending in a way that like actually serves much of a purpose or adds to the discussion. Uh, and that's not even before you factor in uh, like the obligation of people, of black people who are journalists to like use the platform they have to further discussions about other shit. You know, whether it's supposed to talk about George Floyd or the, you know, the white dude who just got off or Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor, like, then there's that weird balance, too. It's like, well, damn, I got to know coverages, and I got to know the laws in Kentucky? Shit, man. <laughs> That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work to know about, to be able to eloquently talk about, like, no-knock, uh, the, the morality of, like, a no-knock law, uh, a no-knock raid, you know, in Kentucky, and, and also know, but, like, how to describe cover six. Shit. That is, it's a lot, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, and that's where we're going, though. You're going to have to have that duality because it's going to they're going to intersect so much. It's like, whew. 
they start paying us more if we're, if we're going <laughs> to do that. And we have to have the platforms to talk about it too. Yeah. Um, who knows where, if, if, if media outlets are going to give people the platform to talk about that going forward. Yeah, because on the national, thinking while you were talking, on the national level, I mean, Jim Trotter, NFL Network, they yeah, had... Yeah, the, Jim, Chat the Jim too. They, yeah, they yeah, had, yeah, yeah, they had their podcast taken away. And then obviously you have Pablo Torre and Bamani Jones who had, was it High Noon on ESPN? And it was like actual yeah. conversation, not shouty stuff. And that was taken off and obviously HQ has gone and Bamani's, I think he, he, HBO or Showtime he's doing a show just to, just to have that platform that he had for like a cup of coffee yeah i think i've talked about this with my homies in the business too i think it was a real indictment of the industry when um and i mean i don't want to knock the man's pockets but he'd, he'd get this point i would hope is like to see Stephen a making like backup shooting guard money at a time when <laughs> high noon gets canceled yeah it's just like whoa what what are we prioritizing here? Like I understand why Stephen A gets the bag. He's the best in sports entertain sports media entertainment. There's no one better. Like there really is not an entertaining people when you put them on TV. No one better. Probably ever, to be honest. Like just the entertainment part of it. Eyeballs go to that guy. He knows how to keep him coming back. That's a talent. Whatever. But at the same time, it's like if you're talking about discussions getting furthered, there was probably no TV show national one better at that than high noon mm-hmm. because Bob Bomani and Pablo is incredibly smart. There was probably nothing better at like breaking the fourth wall and like furthering discussions while also being funny than highly questionable. So like to see all of that deteriorate and it's just like fuck man, now what are we supposed to do? <laughs> like I gotta aspire to go yell at people like, at <laughs> That's what that's what we're doing here. Like I don't want to do that. I, I, mean, I, I could not have a show where I'm just yelling at my co. If me and Chris did the man to man on TV version, we'd probably suck because I'm not going <laughs> to yell at Chris about who's the best route runner every you know for two hours every day. And it's just like and that before you get him into the topics, the yeah. same damn topics. National TV, LeBron James, the Cowboys. It's time ready to go. Is Michael Jordan better than Kobe? Like it's like guys, yeah. other shit. We are still talk about two sports. We talk about basketball and football on a national show. Nobody cares about. It. Hockey, baseball, none of this other stuff. Maybe some boxing, you know. That's yeah. it. It's like that's not worth aspiring to be, you know. If, if you ask me, yeah, I mean, I watched the stream. I the the avenue I used to watch the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder fight a few weeks ago. Uh, Greenberg Greeny was the host of it, and he was like, it was, like, it was it's unbelievable. It was the same man who had to put up with Stephen A. shouting at him for a few years on ESPN on first taking him with him because he he. Yeah, it was just wild to see someone in his, like, in Vertical, his nat- more natural habitat than being shouted at by someone, as you say, at 9 a.m. It was quite cool to watch someone like that when you, I kind of got used to seeing him in a different way. Um, Adam, anything else? No, I think we're good. I, think no? I, can, I can take a little spin and then spin yeah. in the bin and see where we go. Two more things before we spin in the bin. Um, you're, what, nine days, eight days a week? away from watching your Cougs finally win an Apple Cup, Mike? Yeah, no. They, uh, yeah, we should wrap this up soon so I can go grab some beer and watch us beat Arizona, play Arizona in like an hour and a half. Um, but yeah, we uh, should be like 10 days. No, like a week exactly. I think it's on Black Friday, the Apple Cup is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we should we should win. Uh, <laughs> I wish, I wish that Jimmy Lake's last game as head coach of the Huskies was a, a loss in the Apple Cup. 
there's very few things that would give me joy on on a level like that is to beat Jimmy Lake and then he gets fired. Mm. Like, oh, that would be so like joyous. And I know I've said all this stuff about black people before. Like, that's fine. We get to, <laughs> I generally root for black people to succeed. Black coaches in particular, that's a whole other bottle of wax. That could be a whole its own podcast series. But I'm also allowed to just dislike the the head coach of my rival school, regardless. <laughs> of and Jimmy qualifies. Yeah. See a Jimmy. Uh, it's like he's not gonna die. And like he's like he's sick. Like I should. You get to make fun of the guy, right? Like yeah, you lost your job. Boom, you get a buyout. You got nine million dollars. You got nine yeah, million dollars. He'll get paid more to not work than most Americans will make in a lifetime working their ass off. So no, I'm not really. I don't feel that that bad. <laughs> making fun of the guy so I, I wish we had a chance to beat him in his last game that would have been great uh, but yeah kook, kook football is bringing me uh it's been a whirlwind because of rolovich but it's brought me some joy this year i was actually just looking up bowl game locations with uh tim booth for the ap so yeah if they get the la bowl it'll be the day before the seahawks play at the rams so that'll be dope and they're both in sofi so it'd be a cool little weekend uh at a weekend in la That'd be pretty dope. So hell yeah, go cool. Glad you brought that up, Stu. Yes, yeah, no. And also, I think if you want to come on, maybe with that add-on, we can have a track by track uh, dissection of uh, an evening with Silk, Silk Sonic. Oh yeah, that was good. that would be its own little. Uh, <laughs> I'm also I mean, still wearing my Halinski joint. I wear nice. this every day. Nice. Yeah. Never yeah. take this one off. No. So. Uh, yeah, but that is that is uh, quite an album, and like. I think I tweeted, there's an unbelievable Mac Miller documentary which follows him from a YouTube rapper to obviously his death three, four years ago. And there's a bit when he's doing press around Dang, which is a song. It's probably never sounded whiter than what I've just, how I've just pronounced it. But um, when he, the song he did with Pac, and he says, this guy, and basically says, this guy is going to be the biggest star in the world. And I think you said a few years ago, Mike, as well, it's quite cool watching it happen. Yeah, there's nothing like finding an artist before they pop and it makes <laughs> pop. It's just so cool. Like it's just it's such a it's just a fun because then you feel like you're experiencing it uh with them. Like yeah. that that's that's been kind of cool. There's no one really I've caught like that. I mean Anderson kinda. Uh but like the, when you do catch that, it's 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 a uh, it's pretty it's pretty fun. It makes you seeing their rise kinda cool. Athletes kinda too. When I see someone in Seattle who I watch is like a high school kid. And something like that, and they make the league and make an all-star team. Like, I've been watching Zach Levine play for years, right? Now he's, like, a star in the NBA. Like, guys, that's that's super fun. Yeah. And all the football players are playing for Georgia and Alabama and not Washington. But that's a that's another conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that is too, yeah. Spin the bin, Adam? Yeah, quick, 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 quick one. Oh, I've got no one, to be honest. But from the, the guy I had to kick out of my shop at work earlier tonight, he can get in the bin. Well, there was Dan, Dan Cohen sent me a our patron sent me a, a picture uh, of uh, someone's car, and the, the registration plate was Coach E. Um, and you know, as we've always said, Coach is not a name you should have to call people uh, because it's not. Yeah, call me Coach. Call me Coach. No, I will not call you Coach. I'll call you your name. Um, that is one of the weirder things that I think it's an American thing more than anything else, but. This uh, in the same way as my industry, people say, "Call me chef." No, don't call me chef. Call me Adam because that's my name. Um, so yeah, the coach thing is a weird one. But you've probably had a, a few experiences with people like that that expected to call you coach, 
as like a you know assistant strength conditioning guy in a, <laughs> on a you know D two college team or something. Uh, so wait, is this me putting somebody in the bin? Yeah, I agree. It's your take on Adam's point of coach being coach oh, is not well, a name. That's a weird one. No, we're, we're we're just professionals, you know. Like that's you know I don't call Pete or coach when I see him in the hallway. Like I just saw him in the hallway the other day. And he was like, "What's up, Mike? What's up, Pete?" He's not my coach. You just you just you know you're not my coach. Now it's like someone is your doctor. Yeah, what's up, doc? You know, like that makes sense. You you are my you're my doctor, right? Like I call call you, but also you can call your doctor, you know, Fred or whatever your doctor's name is. Like, I think that's a weird. It's a weird uh, thing there. I remember tweeting about that when it, some coach, which coach was it that wanted Dion. to call him coach? Was, that, was it Dion? Was D- Dion yeah, and then Jason prime. Garrett. And again, the conversations about both were different. Oh, very much. Well, Prime is, yeah, <laughs> Prime, he invokes a different discussion. There's just a, there's just a level of humility that people want black famous people to just act with. And it's it's not the same elsewhere uh yeah that's that's why when i was thinking about who am i putting in a band i was trying to think of what coach it was that said um he did kind of think of the children thing with their like taunting rules was it naggy naggy yeah naggy it was and mike tomlin too yeah because sean Sean payton's quit isn't he he's quit the competition committee whatever it is about it oh i feel it there's no there's no thing that makes sense more if you're in the nfl like to be on that's just like an exercise in futility is the is like that committee like no fuck out <laughs> you know, this is going the wrong direction uh, i think that, that that's definitely warranted the bin as an idea because as the homie richard johnson pointed out richard's great talks great college football uh, guy i think he's working for sports illustrated right now but if you I think his twitter handle is like rj writes um so dope Anyway, as he pointed out, there's just a ton of hypocrisy in it. It's like, ah, we don't want all these celebrations and taunts until it's time to put them in Madden and then put them in the Madden commercial that we're doing these celebrations and taunts, right? And then as soon as it's time to put, and they'll tweet something that got a flag on the NFL account and just like celebrate it. And it's like, what kind of hypocrisy is this? Like, okay, it's time to police this behavior until it's time for us to also make money off of it. It's so dumb. Like the NFL needs to go in the bin for that. All these coaches who are like, yeah, think of the children. It's like, bro, have you seen high school football? They're doing a lot worse uh, than what's going on in the NFL. And uh, it's for reasons that go beyond, like, just because of seeing it on TV. That they, that that's like a, I don't know who needs to go in the Nagy, the NFL competition committee. That's, that's been worthy. Can I throw two more people in there? Do it. I'm throw two more people in there. Because I'm having a really good week. Uh, Maybe like the last, I'm having a really good like, no week. It's been a week, a really good week with like coaches who I don't like getting fired. It's been great. So in in addition to Jimmy Lake getting canned <laughs> on Sunday, uh, Paul Petrino, the head coach at Idaho, uh, football coach at Idaho, got the boot. Uh, and I don't have time to tell the full story, but one time Paul tried to fight me, and I wrote about it, and it became a thing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he didn't really uh, he. He he apologized behind closed doors after calling me a liar on television. So like I don't, I never really liked that apology. I just didn't feel like having an adversarial relationship any more than it already was. So yeah, he goes in there. You can Google the column I wrote too. If you Google like Michael Sean, my name, Paul Petrino, and then like add like Moscow Daily News or something like it'll probably pop up. Um, yeah, tried to fight me, had to be held back, and it was just like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like what? Uh, so yeah, he just got fired on 
he's he's coaching his last game as I as the Idaho coach on Saturday, and then he's he's out of there. So yeah, he he deserves to go in the bin for trying to fight a reporter. It's like, dude, what's wrong with you? What is absolutely wrong? Do you have you lost your mind? You should have he should have been fired for that. What? It was stupid. But yeah, hate him in there. Jimmy, because I don't like Jimmy. Uh, anyone who is for all these stupid taunting rules, yeah, there's, all these guys can just go in the bin and stay there. I have one more, Stu. Now that we're, talk- we're talking about taunting, uh, to quote the great Austin Powers, who throws a shoe? Carlos Dunlap, <laughs> the fuck are you doing at 3 0 down? And like, a, just what are you doing? That was just. To be fair, I think Russ did throw a shoe once. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Russ did throw a shoe. Now he was he was throwing it off the field, I think, but like in a way that he didn't need to. Like it was clearly like a a gamesmanship <laughs> thing that mm-hmm. he just didn't get. I don't even think he got penalized for it. But I do remember the other team being upset about it. It might have been the Saints or the Eagles or something like that that were upset about him throwing a shoe. But yes, that was very dumb. Penalty uh on, on Carlos's part. They've had some bad penalties this year. Uh DK on the goalposts. Uh I think Al Woods like jumped off sides on like a field goal attempt. Yeah. Uh yeah, like just some some really uh, Really avoiding avoidable ones. Yeah, DK's got a few on sportsman like uh, joints, I think. Yeah, it's uh, really avoidable. But the taunting thing on a macro level is so dumb. It's what it goes back to what I was saying about policing behavior. Like, what is the league largely made up of? It's like black people, it's like 75%. It's like, it's another way to police <clears throat> the behavior that they don't understand. And that the taunting rule, really, at a fundamental level, is that. It's not just don't yell at your opponent. It really goes back to that, I think. Yeah, and if uh, Gino Smith Adam was on this uh, podcast, I think you'd be going in the bin, wouldn't you? Because he, uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he, he searched his name and in your mentions. Gino was in my mentions, and he's always welcome. <laughs> Gino is always welcome to get in my mentions and have a go at me. That's okay. <laughs> I really wish I could talk to guys about social media. It's really dangerous. It's a dangerous place, man. I think Jamal Adams is another window into a whole other discussion about social media and letting people get to you. Like, I have a direct quote from Jamal at the podium. He says, I don't get into social media. I don't look at the memes. And then the minute he gets an interception, he posts a picture of it and says, meme that shit. Like, but you clearly care about the memes. Like, you just, and he just, yeah, just said it like a week ago. He was like, oh, yeah, I don't care about the memes. Oh, meme that shit. It's like, it's like I don't really care about the hypocrisy of it. I just know that he's a 24-year-old, 25-year-old dude who is engulfed in this like online world in a way that is super unhealthy. And Gino I'm... getting in your mentions by searching his name is another example of how unhealthy that, that whole idea is. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe Jamal waited till Wednesday to post that, though, to be honest. That was the biggest surprise of that. He waited three it's funny, then, Mike, because you, you were talking to with Jackson about a game that the Seahawks won against the Eagles on, like, a Monday night that they were big underdogs. And I remember Luke Wilson in a post-game thing talked about how, you know, they knew they were 10-point underdogs, like, against on the spread or something. And this was, this was after all the players in the week were like, no, I have no idea what the spread is or we're underdogs. I mean, we, we know that they know what's going on. They're, they're keeping abreast of everything. And they're keeping receipts just like everyone else's. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'll get out of here on this note because this is a good tease. Um, we talked about that part of, like, because I think a lot of it goes back to their competitive nature. It's just like, how dare you ever say anything about me? We talked about that. 
with Doug Baldwin, who will be our next guest on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. I believe that is coming out. Fuck, I don't know. That'll I think that'll be Thursday for you guys, but it'll be Wednesday for us. I believe I believe Wednesday the twenty third. Either way, it'll be either Wednesday or Thanksgiving. So that is a good that that particular thing about like searching your name, which what that's rooted in, which is insecurity and hyper competitiveness. We did talk about that a little bit with Doug Baldwin, who, like I said, next guest on the show. Yeah, mom. As long as he gave us a shout out, that's all that matters. I think I think I did two, actually. I mean, I think I did two. I don't know if I did by name. I might have said pedestrian pod. I think I, I think I did. I can't remember. You'll see when it comes out. But I definitely did mention you guys twice. If we're gonna lose our Doug Baldwin exclusivity with anyone, it has, we're, we're no more than happy that it'd be MSD and uh, Chris on the Seahawks man to man. As I said, you I used I used your guys' podcast to ask him. I think two questions. I think that's where the shout outs came. Nice. We appreciate we all, so that was you guys did good work. Yeah, appreciate appreciate that appreciate your time as Adam said you, you legitimately are one of you're one of the best people covering the sport and make this season your articles are making the season somewhat bearable because it's always fun it's always interesting it's always teaching people something so yeah you are legitimately one of the best people covering the sport and one of our favourite people to have on this part of the last 90 minutes or so I'm sure people listening that's been proven once again see you in a couple of weeks as well Mike Hell yeah, man. Let me know when you guys get in town. Can't wait. Should be fun. Yeah, uh, but yeah, appreciate you guys having me. I'm going to go grab some beer and then I'm <laughs> going to go home and I'm going to watch the Cougs become bowl eligible as we shit out of Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Friday night. Uh, all the usual means and methods people can listen to the podcast, follow the podcast, patreon.com forward slash the pedestrian podcast. Um, enjoy the game which we've barely talked about which is probably a sweet relief to well definitely me I, I think you have as well so uh, until next time this has been the Pedestrian Podcast <laughs>